Which is scarier, Skate Taxes, Kelly Square, or the films of Pascal Lager? That's what we're asking today on 508, a show about Worcester. It's October the 26th, 2018. I'm Mike Benedetti. This is Brendan Mellican. How's it going, brother? Actually, there's a fourth thing we should consider on this spooktacular episode, which is the Worcester City Council agenda. Oh, boy. Uh... Yeah, I don't know if you did, did. Did you look at these Kelly Square redesigns, Brendan? I did. I kind of like it. People, I'm probably know, in the minority there, but yeah, I kind of, I thought they looked kind of cool actually. There's four redesigns that have been put out by the State Department of Transportation. Mm-hmm. Um, none of these involve building bridges, and none of them would in, involve reducing traffic volume. I was kind of hoping for at least one clover leaf. I didn't think it was actually going to happen, but I was kind of hoping they would slide in at least one like absurd option that was going to have a giant like Houston style clover leaf that went uh, over the whole intersection. Even there, if it didn't do anything, if it was just like a clover leaf that brought you right back to you went around twice and it brought you right back to where you started. At from, least there's a place could, for you to be while yeah. you're waiting to get through Kelly Square. Sure. This is the problem. Is so who knows what the problem they do for the amount of traffic? But these peanuts, I can get these into these peanuts. peanuts. Uh, well, at least newcomers wouldn't find it so terrifying. The big ideas are to add traffic signals, whether in Kelly Square or at the I-290 West ramp, to add a traffic circle, whether circular or peanut-shaped, to change the directions that are part of all of the streets, and to make some intersections right turn only. All of these sound totally chill. Yeah, the only things that I saw that um, you know, I think could get a little weird is like this one here, reversing the flow of traffic on Millbury Street. Right. Um, there's this really – I don't even know if it's true, but I remember there was a story uh, that I remember hearing when Pearl Street went from being one-way to two-way. Um, okay. That I think he was lieutenant governor at the time, but Tim Murray actually got pulled over going – you know, president of the Chamber of Commerce, Tim Murray, yes. former mayor, uh, got pulled Disgraced over. Disgraced ex-governor. Going, going up Pearl Street and – it was the cop that pulled him over didn't even realize that they had changed the direction on it, right? <laughs> so like he, what he was doing was totally legal, but it was like it was something that was one way for 10 million years, uh, and you know the it's cop just take saw this guy making a turn and pulled him over. But yeah, it's gonna take stuff take, like that just makes yeah. me nervous because it's the one it's gonna be the when Mr. Magoo you know figures his way into this peanut. Uh, it, it's gonna it, be a it's gonna be a, a ble- it's gonna be chaos the first day that they make the. I mean obviously these this construction is going to take forever. Sure. Mr. So Magoo might not be around. Mr. Magoo is going to get, have to get used to one thing at a time rather than having to get used to 10, 10 changes at a I time. I guess my other question, too, with that, where where does Millbury Street end up going? Do you have to go all the way to the end now? I mean, is it you just going to 146 if you if you, if you you get off of Millbury Street? Oh, boy. I have a, I should have a more No, no, I don't think they, did, they got into that. It's just... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, right. I mean, this is option four. This is the, the, the second of the two peanut options. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the peanut options... I don't know. Basically, there's four options. The first option is just put two traffic signals in Kelly Square. I like how you made a spreadsheet but did it on paper. I did make it on paper. It, it, add two two traffic signals to Kelly Square. Uh, make it so that Harding Street runs north. Make it so that Millbury Water Street runs south. Yeah. Just change the directions of those two streets and add a couple of traffic signals, and you're done. That's option one. Option number two is the first of the three traffic traffic circle options. This sure. is, this one says put in a traffic circle. Make it a circle. Mm-hmm. Uh, put in a signal at the I-290 West ramps. Okay. Make Millbury Street right turn only. And make the upper part of Harding Street a two-way street. So, like, basically all these other options are, like, put in a traffic circle and put in a signal at the at the ramps where Kelly Square meets I-290 West, and you're good to go. And some of them involve making Millbury right turn only, and some of them involve making 
the upper part of Harding Street two-way, the lower part of Harding Street two-way, making this street go this way, this street go this way. One of them involves making the I-290 West off-ramp right turn only. Uh, that option, option number four, seems to be the most popular with the public. You know, in which I think makes perfect sense uh, from a – the 290 is where the problem is, right? And, and Yes. I know this is – we're looking at pictures here. We're not looking at things actually moving. And I, I think we brought I brought this up last time we talked about this in, in some degree of detail. As a former uh, highway commuter, right, going yes. into Boston, that 20 feet of roadway that transitions you from, you know, comfortable 80-mile-an-hour highway driving mentality into back down to 20-mile-an-hour urban, dense urban city driving uh, mentality is not going to cut it. Like, what you're looking at right here, do you remember when we were kids and you had those, like, little matchbox tracks? Where like you put your car on like a tiny little little ramp and you pressed a button and then the car would zip around. That's what that off ramp is going to end up being, right? Like you're going to have people flying uh, off of, and we kind of already do. But like the way it's set up now, you've already because Kelly Square is absurd. The backup is, is waiting for you before you get off the highway, so you're 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 getting into slowdown mentality back over here. If this if this roundabout actually functions the way it's going to. All I can picture is matchbox cars coming 80 miles an hour off of this ramp right here, right into your matchbox track, and it's going to be a nightmare for Bobble Address and his horses as they try and trot through this peanut. I would love to see the numbers here. I know that these traffic engineers use a lot of programs that have numbers and simulate things and whatever. I would love to see the numbers for how much this reduces throughput. I haven't heard anything like that. Um, yeah, and I would just love – I mean, eventually we will hear what are they going to do with the uh, excess traffic or something because yeah. – I mean, may, maybe this idea of changing the directions of these streets just means, just makes it so that they're really, it's really inconvenient to use Harding Street and Water Street, so you're reducing traffic that way. I think in a weird way, that's kind of what happens, though, because, you know, what, what, this is conceivably a big project, right? This isn't one of those things that they're going to start uh, after rush hour on a Thursday and Friday morning, it's going to be open for business, right? right? We're talking about an extended project here. I think one of the things that happens with big extended projects like this is... You force people to take other routes for such an extended period of time. They just adapt. You change their behavior. So I don't think, you know, when 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 the I don't know, do they have a ribbon cutting for peanuts? If they were to, when the when the ribbon <laughs> is a cut, it's a cracking, a peanut yeah. cracking. When they crack the 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 husk of this nut, um, I don't think you're just going to have it go right back to the density that you currently think of when you think of Kelly Square. That you're, makes sense. That for 18 months, people are going to say, "Don't go anywhere near that place. It's just a mess of it's just a mess of construction." And then once it's done, people are going to say, "Still don't go anywhere near that place." I mean, I don't it's turn just the on, world's slowest peanut. I don't turn like I don't. I, I refuse to use Google Maps like when I'm driving in the city, even if I'm not entirely sure. That if, even if I'm not entirely sure where I'm going, for just that reason, right? Like as a lifer here, I've got routes so deeply programmed oh, okay. into my, my my subconscious that like when Google pops up and says, oh, if you go this way, it's going to save you eight minutes. It's just, no, shut the hell up, Google. Like I don't want your help. Like I I know Worcester. I don't need I your help driving right around. I think people are going to realize that you know they've actually been wasting hours of their lives uh, by going through Kelly Square just There's because better their grandfather told them to do it a hundred years ago. And yeah, there's probably a better way. It's going to be a disruptive technology. And, and it it's could be a boon everything. for the folks that are into uh, bridge repair down on um, Southbridge Street, because I think you'll see a lot more traffic going through Southbridge Street. Well, I'm really, I mean, I'm really, anyway, I'm really excited that we actually have these proposals. I'm really excited that these proposals. Can I ask you a, the, a question? Yes, though, because we yes. spent a lot of time talking about driving. Yes. As a uh, as a pedestrian. As a pedestrian, uh, I'm guessing that the yellow areas are, uh, you know, where the sidewalks. End. Um, 
What do you, what do you think about the the sidewalk layout for or the you know from a, a pedestrian safety perspective? It seems fine. Yeah. Like most like most drivers in Worcester, my experience of Kelly Square is always that I'm a little bit trepidatious approaching it, and then once I get there, I'm like, oh, it's actually not that hard to cross. It's no, it, but it's one one thing that I've been thinking about, and you know, I, I don't. I'm curious to see where they go with it. Is if that if the peanut crossing, if if Mr. Peanut's yes. belt uh, has you know a pedestrian light uh, where you can stop traffic. Like, that's going to be an absolute disaster, right? Like, you're not going to be able to block highway traffic, essentially, because... To let one person cross the street. One person needs, you know, and in Worcester, we double the amount of time it takes to cross a street. So it'll be like a minute and a half that you get to, to cross those four lanes of traffic there. Uh, so I think what they should probably be doing is that little greenway in the, you know, that where Mr. Peanut is. Like, yes. That, you should have lawn chairs. Maybe some Adirondack chairs or something, and have like a staging area where, like, if you made it halfway across, you can just take a break. There's gonna be a snack bar until uh, until the next hot dog break in traffic comes. Because if they do a standard, you know, like push peanut, this button, and peanut truck, you have a peanut a truck, peanut there. cart in the middle of the peanut. We'll do salt. We'll do roasted peanuts, I boiled peanuts. Idea. I love this idea. Anyway, I think it, I mean probably this makes Kelly Square more exciting. Probably you're right too that it makes Kelly Square less popular. Did we talk about the, Did we talk about the Cornelius Kelly? Uh, centennial event. Did I talk about this on the show last week? Uh, you announced it on the show. Uh, Maybe it happened I think last two weeks week. ago. It happened last happened week. I think you talked ago. about two weeks ago. You it was a good. It. it was a good event. Yeah. It was a great event. It was. Um. You know, they had uh, uh some Jay Rotzi kids out there. They did some flag ceremonies. They raised the. Fl- I, I mean, I was a little bit confused as to what they were doing with flag ceremonies. Having done flag ceremonies myself as a Boy Scout, they're raising flags. Putting them at half mast, lowering them again, giving them to congressmen. There's a, a you had a good good slate of politicians out there. The district attorney, uh, Mary, state rep Mary Keefe, mm-hmm. uh, the mayor, Jim McGovern, uh, uh, you know Kate Toomey and Gary Rosen, as you would expect. We should do a full show on Brian flag, O'Connell on flag code. When when it's really when we're not worried about boring everyone, flag now code. that we don't anymore, we'll do a full episode on flag code. And you see, I just saw a dude the other day driving through the city with a truck with the most raggedy American flag flying off the back of this truck. And you know this is meant to be a patriotic statement. Sure. And you know that if somebody was doing this in like 1955, people would flip that truck and set it on fire. <laughs> that's why. Because I'm that's what that's what America haters do is they have destroyed flags laying flags around the rather than the back of a dealing with truck. them in a respectful way. They don't respect a flag as a sacred. Symbol. Symbol it is. Yeah, no, like trash. this is why I've never been able to take seriously, uh, you know, the the the, the that get incensed with uh, flag burning. It's not that I'm a big fan of burning anything in public, right? That's I, mean, I spend enough time trying to quit smoking that I, I'm I'm, an, I'm a big fan of the idea that we shouldn't have any combustible material out in public. Okay. Um, but yeah, when you see the what what the folks that oftentimes are claiming that the flag needs a certain degree of respect do with the flag, like hang it off the back of a pickup truck till it's, you know, more tattered than, yeah. you know, a, a, it's a, weird. a towel. That's yeah, weird. It's just absurd. Anyway, the, the, flag I mean, code. The, Kelly, the Kelly event was great. They treated the flags with respect. They, these are people who know even the, they know the flag code even better than me. Which well, is, that's what I was saying. Like You said you're they a little had, bit confused by what they were yeah. doing. It's probably because they actually know flag code, and it's some confusing stuff. And yeah. Bob, Bob, Bob Largesse had a, a coffin on his horse-drawn wagon, a, a flag-draped coffin on his horse-drawn wagon. You know, Kelly being buried in France, but they had this symbolic coffin. At some point, they brought it into the ship room and had like a, like a, like a reception. I didn't stick around for that. Did Officer you stay for the Irish wake? Uh, I did not. I did not stay the whole time. No. Officer Sean Lovely, uh, who was the organizer of this, you know, was dressed in his uh, uh, Irish regalia, police mm-hmm. regalia, and uh, played the bagpipe to lead the procession. Fantastic. They had a they had a helicopter fly over at one point. Um, 
people spoke eloquently and at length. It was it was a good event. It was a good nice. event. It was event, it was an event that there, there were actually people there who were um, I guess family members. I not, I don't think Cornelius Kelly had any descendants, so these would have been like his sisters kids or his you know his his brothers great great grandchildren or whatever but there were also some some family members from a you know a kelly related family right. who were present there it was great halloween all right the horror time of year do you do anything special for halloween in worcester no i i, I despise halloween are you serious yeah no you know what it is it's um i don't want to say it's an irrational fear i just don't like people wearing masks I mean, it's it's a legitimate fear. In the no, city of New really, York, it's a crime. It's not really a fear, though. It's just something I don't like. I think it's just because I, I, I think that I, I probably as a child was emotionally stunted and like didn't do a good job on verbal cues. So I've always like looking. I'm always looking at people's faces to to like read faces more than the words that are coming out of their mouths. And as soon as people put, cover their faces, I just I get weirded out. So do I've you, never really been a fan. Even as a kid, was never a fan of Halloween. Not, but again, not like afraid of people in masks. I'm terrified of horses, right? And I don't like clowns. Like I can acknowledge those those irrational fears. This one, just not just not interested. Do you like horror as a genre, or does that also turn you off? Yeah, you, yes and no. It depends how you define horror. Like '80s style, like gore movies. Like I just never really did anything to me. But it's because uh, they, they never really struck me as realistic. But like but movies that are truly like terrifying, like Faces of Death. Yeah, more realistic. I guess just, like I'm into getting scared. I'm not into just like getting disgusted. Gore, yeah, whatever. Yeah, I can hear them. Brendan, I got you an early Christmas present. Nice. It's a distributional analysis of the tax systems in all 50 states. No, oh, you're kidding prepared, me. <laughs> prepared by the Institute on Taxation and Economic Policy. Yeah. In, Brendan, in the 10 states with the most regressive tax structures, okay. the lowest income 20% pay up to six times as much of their income in taxes as their wealthy counterparts. Washington State is the most regressive, followed by Texas, Florida, South Dakota, Nevada, Tennessee, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Oklahoma, and Wyoming. This is uh, these. I, I'm actually a big fan of these lists, and I haven't seen this breakdown, this report in particular, but I tend to look at um, any state-by-state -state comparison in taxation as much as possible because of that right there. Because Looks like we slid a little bit, but the last time I took a hard look, we were closer to 25, which I always found fascinating and is part of the reason why I'm such a big fan of stupid slogans because mm -hmm. of how powerful they are, right? Like there are people that we know that still use terms like Taxachusetts well, I was gonna to describe say. something that hasn't been an economic reality since, I don't know, before I was old enough to drive. It's like we actually are, are pretty reasonable when it comes to taxation. And then all those red state folks that love to complain about how, you know, how, how terrible, you know, us communists run our states. When you do the math, they're totally welfare states that take in way more in federal dollars than they pay out. Meanwhile, like what what we are, what bring, drags us down uh, to the level that we're at, which is still kind of in the middle in Massachusetts, is because we're just so generous and willing to 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 pay for the needs of places like Texas, Florida, and South Dakota. Alaska used to be up there too. Well, know. this this is a weird list. I don't think that it's it's not like strictly like if you're poor in Massachusetts, do you pay? You know, like at, at what point do you start paying too much to the government or whatever? Sure. I think it's just like family or household tax, local and state tax rates, and how they compare to the lowest quintile versus the highest quintile. And Massachusetts is right in the, basically right dead center in the list at number 30. Right. Um, this number uh, essentially answers the following question, are incomes more equal or less equal after state taxes than before taxes? Um, 
in Massachusetts. Now, tax policy is always frustrating to me. I never quite understand. I feel like there's always like a hundred different factors that they could include, and they always include like 75. And somebody else will argue, well, there's 25 that they skipped, and those are actually the most important. And I can prove exactly the opposite thing sure. by including my own, cherry picking my own 75 factors. Mm-hmm. But by these guys's reckoning, the lowest quintile pays 10% of their family income in state and local taxes. And the highest quintile pays only 6.5% of their taxes. Right. And, um, actually, no, that's not the t- that's not the highest quintile. The highest quintile pays more than that, but the top 1% pays 6.5% of their taxes. Mm-hmm. Percent of their income is their tax as state as state and local taxes. So again, it's a weird. But it's, it's a weird. A, again, it's the federal stuff where it gets really, really cool to look at because there is yeah. yeah. I mean, there's a lot. Th- this is again, this is why it's a weird thing because once we start including. Benefits that you're getting from the government mm-hmm. and and federal taxes and whatever else is, then it becomes the story is possibly very different. But this is just looking at the impact of state and local taxes. Um, in, this includes sales and excise taxes, property taxes, and income taxes. Uh, per, the the parts of the tax of taxes in Massachusetts that are progressive, that is that they um, make it you pay more taxes percentage wise as you get richer. Mm-hmm. Uh, Massachusetts provides a refundable in earned income tax credit. Massachusetts sales tax base excludes groceries. The no tax threshold and low income credit eliminate income tax liability for the poorest taxpayers. So, yeah, they don't actually have the lowest 1% or lowest 5%, but that would be interesting to see if the lowest 5% pay anything in taxes. Um also, also progressive, it requires the use of combined reporting for the corporate income tax. Okay. I don't know what that means. And we levy a state estate tax. Regressive aspects are that personal income tax uses a flat rate. Is that right? Yeah. I guess it makes. I guess that's true. I guess I just never pay, pay attention to that. We fail to provide a property tax circuit breaker credit for low-income non-elderly taxpayers, and we have a comparatively high cigarette tax rate. Yeah. Um. Yeah, there it is. So, Merry Christmas, Merry Early Christmas. Thank you for that. Yeah, no, that's 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 heartwarming. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I don't know. Do you, do we want to talk about the city council? I think we should. We're I mean, gonna, eventually, we get to talk about Florida. I feel like well, here let's finish off this segment talking about Florida, and we'll go into the next segment talking about the city council. So, it, so you want to talk about something that we normally don't talk about on this show, which is national news. But there's a hook to Florida, man, which is something we do talk about on the show. So it's this, close this counts as a thing we can talk man. about. Yeah, yeah. No, I just I, I was shocked. Uh, I guess not shocked. They probably didn't even know it happened. But um, yeah, they, it looks like they have a suspect in uh, the the rash of, uh, of of homemade bombs that have hit. Um, you know, well-known Democrat, uh, Democratic leaders over the last couple of days. But the amazing thing is this guy's van. If you haven't seen the pictures of this guy's van right now, like this is, stop this what is you're a white doing. Van. It's a white van in, in Florida, but like the windows are completely plastered with every crazy person bumper sticker that you've ever seen. And I think we, this is one of those things that we've talked to uh, talked about quite a bit on the show. Uh, there's a general rule of thumb. Uh, that comes into play primarily when you're trafficking in narcotics, right? If you're moving weight in your vehicle, one crime at a time. And like this guy's van. So wait, so just to clarify, this would mean that if you were, say, driving from New York to Worcester with a trunk full of heroin, you would replace all the lights before you left New York City. You'd get the the headlights checked, the emissions checked. You would drive super safe. Not dragging a muffler. Everything would be... have a wobbly hubcap. You would be dead sober. Everything would be good so that no traffic cop would stop you and accidentally intercept your $20 million in heroin. Right. 
Florida man, on the other hand, it can is see nothing the- but <laughs> it's just the most possible visible violation in that all the windows of his vehicle, except for, I guess, the bare minimum of the front and maybe the left side. And I couldn't really get a clear shot of the front. So the front <laughs> it could, could be, be covered, covered in too. stickers. Yeah, it could be completely covered in stickers. And it basically, the, the, the truck, may, the van may as well be a giant neon sign just pointing down saying, like, bombs in here. That's It's just, it's all crazy or all some the kind time. Of, or some kind of serial killer type activity. Or serial killer activity. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. You want, Florida man is probably a little bit more uh, robust in his hobbies than we give him credit for. Brent crude oil is $77 a barrel, down 3% on the week, and Bitcoin is $6,400 unchanged on the week. I'm not surprised that commodity price is down, considering the stock market is way down this week, but I'm a little surprised that Bitcoin didn't do anything in particular as a response. I don't think uh, Bitcoin is as closely tied to... Uh, anything the, in reality? ...the crown prince of Saudi Arabia <laughs> as, as say, Brent crude. Maybe, maybe. Brendan, there was, a, there was a pretty light city council agenda this week. Uh, there was one item that the great Paula Bushy and Denise Bellata requested the council prohibit people from putting signs in the Newton Square Rotary. Mm. These two ladies are active in uh, maintaining the rotary, keeping the flowers straightened out. Yeah. They do many things in the community, which is how I know them. I don't know anything about that rotary, but I know they do the rotary in addition to all their other good stuff. I'm, do you know anything about the legality of putting signs in that rotary? Well, it's public property, so you're not, you shouldn't be putting signs on public property anywhere. Okay, so this so this item would be more just like maybe the council could just clarify like yeah they are illegal people should just rip them out if they if it bothers them yeah and I think it get where where so if if you almost never will see like political signs in that rotary I drive through it every day right like yeah people are pretty good about that stuff but then there's like the um, bigger like uh, religious festivals or ethnic festivals there's and like a menorah in that rotary sometimes right it, it, yeah there is um, but th- then the, the space will get taken up with like lawn signs and whatnot I'm going to guess that. They're probably just trying to get a, a hard and fast, like, no. Wait, it'll be taken up. Wait, you're saying whenever the menorah goes up, it's taken up by lawn signs that say no, no, Happy I'm Hanukkah? Saying, I'm saying throughout the year, like, if oh, you've got, oh. if, when you have, like, the Greek festival, like, there will always be signs that will pop up there festival. or whatever. It's, I, I think there's there's been a weird gray area oh, where okay. everybody knows that political signs are, like, a no-go on public, uh, local, state land and whatnot. But, but maybe public festivals would be okay. I, yeah, get but a pass on it. Maybe but, we should just. But not according to these ones. Maybe we should just not, not do them at all. I don't know. Um, the great Bill Coleman has two items asking the council to recognize longtime city businesses. First, quote, Mark Ruffo, president and owner of K&N Supply Plumbing and Heating Company, a Worcester landmark since 1978. And second, S. Richard Sachs, his family and employees of A1 Wholesale Window and Siding Company for their longtime commitment to the city since 1949. God bless Bill Coleman. I mean, I never have seen any item like this on the city council agenda, and he's got uh, he's got a twofer. I'm just going to let you keep going. <laughs> Uh, Lowell Alexander will be reappointed to the Civic Center Commission. The council voted whether or not to reappoint Stephen Stolberg to the Commission on Disabilities and Patrick Hare to the Diversity and Inclusion Advisory Board. I assume they got appointed. I feel like I would have heard if there was some sort of controversy around that. Maybe not. Uh, At what point in time do we need to rename that commission, the Civic Center Commission? Because it's the GCU Center? Or because – is there a Civic Center? That's what it is, yeah. But it, it used to be the centrum. But I think it was like the commission was up and running before it had a name. But it's like, I don't Maybe this is why. Just so that every time it gets renamed, they don't have to do whatever but, yeah, municipal thing it takes to rename the commission. Something, there, there is something in a name, though, right? Like in, in a way, like our cable commission is like focused on cable, even though like our cable companies are the biggest providers of Internet as well. Rather than being really... called the Internet Commission. Or both. Cable and or internet. Telecom. Yeah, something a little bit more broad. This, I don't know. Civic Center just has a weird connotation. I don't, I don't know that the DCU Center, does it meet that? I don't, what, what is the Civic Center? 
I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, thank you, Worcester City Council, for making us contemplate the, the hard questions. Uh, there, the manager would like the council to authorize the city to sell a 3,000-square-foot parcel at 521 Sunderland Road to a private person for 3,800 bucks. This is a little. This is a little chunk that the city doesn't use for anything. Um, I got to keep my eye out for those parcels, Mike. You know, well, you know, our project for this year's. We're gonna we're gonna take over the city of Worcester. Yeah. Better yet. I mean, I think that this is to an. I think this is to the adjacent property owner. We're going to annex Holden by picking up every unused parcel, uh, one piece at a time, with little shell companies. This reservoir. We're just going to be reservoir, reservoir land, or you're just saying it's not going to be this reservoir land thing. It's just going to be like straight up like the town ABC of and ABC. We're going, to find all, we're going to find all the little lots that are currently unused uh, that the city owns, and we're just going to buy them up with a bunch of different LLCs, and eventually we're going to. Were we talking about this last week? Yes. To some yes. Extent? Yeah, yeah. We're going to take over Holden. Slidely, slowly, slide right in. The manager has an update on our current tax incentive financing deals, which are development tax breaks that he credits with generating $300 million in investment and 1,700 jobs. But it, this report doesn't outline the extent of the tax breaks themselves. Uh, and it mentions that Hazardous Waste Collection Day is next Saturday, November the 3rd. You can call the city and make an appointment to drop off your hazardous waste. Uh, this again, I, you know, on the one hand, it's wonderful that the city has a time, kind of an amnesty day, where they're like, okay, you've been hoarding weird toxic paint in your basement. Just rather than pouring it down the storm drain, just give Thank it to us r- properly. Yeah. Even though we normally charge you money, this one day you're just bring it in, no questions asked. Bring in the, your radioactive barrel of whatever, no questions asked. It's crazy making that you have to make an appointment to do this because I don't know. It still seems like I don't know. I, I guess I don't know. It's also problematic I that you, 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 I think you you go down that rabbit hole far enough, you come to realize that you're surrounded by homes uh, full with toxic waste, right? I mean, yes. it, we, we, we only have these days because the toxic waste actually exists, and we know it exists, but we can't deal with it on a regular basis, like you said. Yes. All sorts of, that's the horrifying part is, yeah, every time a house burns down, every time whatever, every time a, a, a Mr. Magoo drives uh, the wrong way down Millbury Street and crashes into a building. It's, it's just like a little toxic waste dump fire right there. It is. It's a you know, super fun site. You know, I, I, I've noticed this from doing from uh, being involved with REC Earth Day cleanups and sort of flyering the neighborhood for these and having some neighbors misunderstand intentionally not the flyers. You know, the flyers are supposed to be saying like, hey, we're going to pick up trash off of the street. Mm-hmm. And we're gonna, we're gonna, the REC is gonna deal with it, and it'll be great. They're gonna give us even free trash bags. Let's get the neighborhood looking nice. But uh, some people take it as saying like, now is the time when you can just put your basement on the curb, all the junk in your basement <laughs> on the curb. And I have usually found that it's at least manageable that only a handful of people take it that way. So you're like, okay, this is a lot of like weird scrap metal and like an old boiler and like whatever. But okay, we can, we can manage this. This isn't like everybody. But people have the people who take advantage of it. People have an immense amount of crap in their basements in this city. Yeah, I feel like if a tornado came through and took off the t- everything above ground level, we would be stunned at just the amount of like old again old exercise machines. There's probably people with 15 broken boilers in one basement. Yeah, if we ever go the way of Pompeii, uh, you know, excava- <laughs> the excavations that take place in the future will not look kindly upon us. People will wonder why do these people have so much garbage in but their But this is also, basements. I mean, this is this kind of comes back to that problem that we constantly have with dumping in the city too, right? Like it's, we've talked uh, quite a bit in the past about some of the, like the, the cultural retooling and relearning that needs to take place about litter, like the small stuff when you're walking down the street and like, you know, a, a soda cup hits you in the foot just because you, um, uh, so, someone threw something out the window. That takes some training. 
It also takes a lot of training to realize that there's a right and a wrong way to get rid of, like you said, your boiler or your water heater or that couch that your grandmother left you and you don't know what to do with. And I don't know that we've ever really done a good job of explaining that to people other than trying uh, to find ways to keep people from dumping them in the woods all the time. You know, I, um, I, I mean, I feel like the real challenge with dumping is that, like, I deal with dumping on a weekly basis with some properties that I'm involved with as a volunteer. And let's say somebody throws a tire or a bed on the sidewalk or in the driveway of a, a building, you know, the city will... Um, you know, the city will pick it up if you ask them a few days later. But you're like, I can't just leave this tire here. Mm-hmm. If I leave this tire here, there's going to be 15 tires here tomorrow. Right, right. So if you can call the city at like 9 in the morning, you can maybe deal with the problem. But if you only notice the problem after like 3 o'clock, you're just going to have to throw it away yourself. Maybe you, I, I mean, I let the city know just to keep a paper trail there. So have some, some, you know... Just to let people know, this is a possibly a problem dumping areas, but like yeah, but I, I guess they don't, they're not. You, I, you can't fix it. I, I know you know this, but I, I guess it bears repeating, right? Like, how do you get through to somebody that like just dumping a tire on the side of the road is? Who's just carrying around a tire in the first place, Mike? I mean, these are these are people who feel entitled for one reason or another. I know, but like really, who just has a tire kicking around, right? It's 2018. Like, where do you have? I remember as like as a young young kid, right? Like that, like. My, I feel like my, my grandfather had two sets of tires, right? You had your snow tires and your, your summer tires or whatever the case may be. So there was always yeah. like a spare set of tires kicking around. Where did all these tires come from? I can't remember the last time. I've never had a, like, just like a, a single tire or multiples just kicking around. Like saying, hey, what am I going to do with these? I don't know. I guess you're going to, I guess you're going to throw them in these, these you're driveways roll it down the street. It's going to end up in, in your front yard. Yeah. <sighs> Camera's being frustrating as usual. Um, well done, camera. Well, Brendan, we can also complain about Leaf Collection Day. Nice. Uh, which is going to happen on November the 5th. Are we going to have snow? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. But well, what is Jordan Levy going to yell at if, yell about if we don't, don't if it doesn't snow on that day? I don't know. I mean, you know, you know what we did last year for Leaf Collection Day? Am I even going to talk about picking up leaves on this show? I am. Last year we started doing this thing where you, because we missed Leaf Collection Day, we did this thing where you take using a trash can and a weed whacker, mm-hmm. you shred your leaves, you build a primitive leaf shredder and you shred your leaves. Yeah. Work really good. Yeah. I just mow mine. That's another option. We we don't, we only have a push mower so. Yeah, yeah. That's not going to happen. It doesn't work that well. Yeah, all the leaves, totally. We put them in flower beds and whatever. They decompose really fast. I good. just, yeah. The, it's, it's a totally helpful and wonderful service that the uh, the city has where you can just throw all of your leaves out in the street and somebody comes by and picks them up. But it, it's always struck me as a completely absurd thing. Yeah. Almost absurd as burning them. But. And that's kind of the, I mean, that's the business of the city this week. Like, that's the Worcester City Council agenda. From Leaf the collection and spare boilers. Yeah. You haven't seen the new Nicolas Cage movie, Mandy, have you? I have not. So this is a movie. It's the second movie by the director, Panos Cosmatos. Okay. Um, you may know him as the guy whose dad directed Rambo and Cobra. Really? Yes. Yeah. Uh, You've got my attention. Yes. And uh, he did a movie called uh, Beyond the Black Rainbow, which is an extremely atmospheric movie, perhaps to its own detriment. Okay. Um and then he's just recently done this movie uh, called Mandy, starring Nicolas Cage, which I would my review would be the first Nicolas Cage in a film in a long time that you feel like this is a great use of Nicolas Cage. Fantastic. Um, you know, but now not, you've got me wanting to go back and watching Cobra this weekend. I can't handle Cobra. I've only ever watched like the first 20 minutes of Cobra. Oh, it's awful, but it's uh, <laughs> it's it's definitely definitely time for a rewatch. 
I was listening to a charming interview with Panos Cosmatos, and they were saying, well, you know, you, you have this horror movie that's kind of the art horror movie of the year or the nerd horror movie of the year so far. Is that what Mandy is? I feel like it is, at okay. least among a certain kind of film nerd. Um, you know, what what is what has been your history with loving horror films, especially as somebody who, you know, half grew up in Hollywood mm-hmm. as their dad is a big-time director? Uh, and he said, you know, like for the longest time, he couldn't handle any horror stuff. Yep. He's too scary. Mm-hmm. And then there was a brief period where he could watch and like horror. And then he got to the point where he was kind of like, this is not good enough. It's yeah. never scary enough. It's never good enough or almost never good enough. I feel like that's exactly my own mode that I feel like even when I was a teenager, Brendan, or maybe only when I was a teenager, would I actually like open my eyes in a haunted house. As a child, I would be led through with my eyes closed. So, again, like I was saying earlier, and I know it sounds ridiculous, like haunted houses, just like uh, Halloween. No, I didn't do it because people are wearing masks. And I it's just, a, <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't have time for that. It's I, Let me see your face. Um, but, you know, the, the horror movie thing is kind of funny because you asked during the break, like, what I was, what my favorite horror movies are. And it's actually a really, really easy short list. Like, it would, thinking about it. Friday the 13th movies I always loved, and that was partly okay. because when they came out and I was a kid, that was, like, your best access to, like, random nudity and whatnot, right? Like, that, so that was the easy one as, like, yes. a, as a young man. Sure. Um, but then, like, how, the Halloween movies, like Michael Myers, it, on the same same level, but obviously absent of the, the nudity, really what it was, is, and it's also, I think, as an adult, I love uh, zombie fiction. It's the idea of taking something that, like, you can make what you will of whatever you think you're supposed to be terrified of is, right? It doesn't necessarily represent something real. It's going to represent whatever the dark thing in your head wants it to be. It's going to be human form, right? Like, it, but it's 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 not necessarily a human with a personality that you can attach to it. It's just you... a guy in a white mask, a white nondescript mask, apparently a William Shatner mask, but a completely white nondescript mask. And it's I, I, that's the thing that I always loved the way um, Max Brooks uh, talked about um, the sort of the, the rebirth of the zombie genre and like what he made of it and why the, popu- the popularity and the tension behind it. And he kind of simplified things in the idea that it's like, look, like everybody has fears, um, but like you can't replicate everybody's fears and made, make wide audiences happy. Like the whole zombie thing just kind of makes sense because you can you can put an overlay on that thing however you like and it's going to satisfy your desires for tickling whatever those fears you, you, we each possess are. That's a good point. That's a good point. You know, I tried to get Bruce the Snow Ghost Rose on the show this week, but you know, he's a hard he's a hard guy to book. I did ask also him, one of my greatest fears is it was talking to Bruce. Is Bruce, Bruce, is, Bruce is pretty terrifying. I asked him what horror movie he would recommend this year, and he said The Ghost and Mr. Chicken. This is a movie which I think Bruce has literally watched in the four figures number of times. Not a scary movie at all. Have you ever seen The Ghost and Mr. Chicken? No, it With sounds Don like a, I'm. I'm no. It's just a really corny Don Knotts movie. I mean, you know, the the name is uh, it, it's it just the title sounds like one of those Shaun the Sheep movies, like the the cornball <laughs> British like uh, claymation films. Yeah, it's a little bit like that, but you know, I mean, you I, you could consider Don Knotts to be a form of claymation. I guess sure. so. <laughs> By the way, proud proud native West Virginian Don Knotts. Really? Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, the, 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 there's a, the main drag in Morgantown, West Virginia, is called Don Knotts Boulevard. All roads lead to Appalachia. I think my little brother was in was in Morgantown. Do any, any roads lead to Appalachia? I have a lot of roads. Some, okay. Everybody who I know who's ever been to West Virginia is like, oh, yeah, I drove on I whatever, interstate whatever through there. It seemed nice. <laughs> Didn't stop for gas. Didn't have to. <laughs> Not a giant state. You know, I'm looking at my list of recommended movies this, 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 uh, this Halloween, Brendan, and I feel like this list is 
I feel like these are actually not my favorite horror movies. These are just horror movies that have a lot of parts that I would not have appreciated when I was in high school. Okay. Things that I was just not literate enough or not wise enough to appreciate certain elements of them. So these are sort of the top movies that I would recommend if you're over 16. All right. Not because you can't handle it if you're under 16. Just because the chances of you liking it that much is maybe low. The original Frank, the old Frankenstein with uh, Boris Karloff. You ever sure. see that? Of course. Great performance by Boris Karloff. I think that's what stuns people going back to see that is you think he's just wearing a gigantic amount of crazy makeup, which he is, but he's also acting up a storm behind a giant mask of crazy makeup. Terrific job. Psycho, I feel like, still really holds up. Sure. Um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. This is one that I'm really pressuring all my friends to watch this year. You ever see the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Yeah, again, not a fan, because that was a combination of gore and masks. There is gore and masks. I feel like that movie, I mean, the title is completely accurate, but in some respects, I feel like that's the movie where the title is most likely to turn off a giant section of people who should watch it. Mm. You know, it's as though, like, First Blood had a title like, you know, the traumatic experience of Vietnam upon America's veterans or something. So you were just like, oh, this is some pansy documentary about whatever rather than like First Blood. I mean, it is about the traumatic effects of Vietnam, but it's also about First Blood. Texas Chainsaw Massacre is about a Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but it also just is very smart and evocative and atmospheric and great. Ginger Snaps. Never seen it. This is a a somewhat obscure, I think, Canadian uh, sister horror film. Trouble Every Day by Claire Denis. Also never Uh, seen it. Trouble Every Day. I haven't seen Trouble Every Day in a long time. I started, I was watching little bits of it the other day, and I realized that Trouble Every Day, I think, has a huge amount of people like being ripped open and blood being splattered everywhere. Okay. Not really what I remember from Trouble Every Day, but I guess an aspect of Trouble Every Day. So maybe if you're not into super gross stuff, don't watch it. But it's a, it's a very artsy uh, vampire movie. Maybe mm. the most artsy vampire movie. Really? Which, which is saying something. Uh, Martyrs, speaking of Pascal Lager, Martyrs is a huge favorite movie of mine. This is part of the briefly lived, um, uh, what the hell do they call it? The New French Extremity. Okay. This movement of post-2000 Europe where they were just like, let's make some really gross movies with lots of horror and rape in them. This Mm -hmm. is not one that has any actual sexual violence in it, which is nice. But it does have a huge amount of very graphic horror. But it's also a lot about um, friendship uh, the difficulties of having a friend of who has mental illness, the difficulties of having a friend who's gone through trauma um, and where you know that some of what they're telling you about their trauma is not true, but you don't know where the line is. Okay. And how do you still remain a good friend to that person? Um, you know, I mean, I feel like, I, and again, I feel like if I was a teenager and would watch this, I would just be like, no, this is that terrifying movie about think, people having things nailed to their skulls or mm-hmm. actually maybe the best most exciting home invasion scene in all of cinema. Yeah. But uh, I feel like it really touches in a lot of other things. I'm not even kidding. Like, I feel like I, end, you, I, Martyrs ends in a weirdly warm note for a movie that's such a brutal film, literally about torture. I don't know. Again, I'm just saying this, maybe not the movie for everybody, but Your Next is a great movie. All home invasion. Hmm. Masks, though. Let me see if there's masks in any of these. Martyrs, no masks. Trouble Every Day, no masks. Ginger Snaps, no masks. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, masks. Psycho, I guess technically masks. Frankenstein definitely masks. Let me ask you this, Mike. What? Yeah. Uh, how do we define horror now? Right? Like, does the purge count as horror? Uh, I think so, definitely. I mean, this is a funny thing. Like, a friend of mine, a good friend of mine, who always says that she hates horror. Uh, one of their favorite films, two of their favorite films, are The Descent and Children of Men. And okay. I, yeah, yeah. The Descent is obviously straight up horror movie. 
Okay. Uh, I mean, or you're saying oh, maybe, I mean, it's about cannibalistic humanoid underground dwellers. Yeah. Um, you know, also just a great, you know, female-led horror movie. Great horror movie by any standard. See, maybe my great definition movie. is just completely wrong. I think that's right. actually probably part of the problem is I was, there's too many uh, terrible low-budget 80s films that I watched because it was going to be the next great horror film right on, on VHS. Yeah, yeah. And they were just awful examples of watching people get dismembered in ways that weren't even remotely realistic. And it's... Because if I hear the term psychological thriller, right? Like, yes. even though, like, there might be gore involved or there might be... Like, I don't... And, and I don't even know if I use that term right either, like Saw. Like, I don't, I don't consider any of the Saw series a horror film. I would consider that a psychological <laughs> Net- thriller. Netflix, The Netflix sorting system would disagree with you. Yeah, I know, and that's where I... You know, so maybe we'll have to revisit at this some point in time. We're going to have to do a yes. Clockwork Orange experiment. You're going to prop my eye- eyeballs open, make me watch a bunch of uh, different movies. Well... Is this Clockwork Orange? Is that horror or is that psychological thriller? It has thriller? horror elements. I mean, I, I feel like I will say to you... My friend, what I say to my other friend, which is you're defining horror as horror movies you don't like. Yeah. In which case, I understand why you don't like horror movies you don't like. Yeah. Or maybe you just don't like really trashy, exploitative horror movies, which is fine. Um, you know. I think you just uh, nailed it, though, Mike. I hate cars, but I love Teslas. There you go. I mean, the American version of We Are What We Are, I will put on my list. No masks, a lot of cannibalism. The Mexican, ver- the original Mexican version, I can't get into it, Brendan. I watched like 30 minutes of it, couldn't get into of it. Of what movie? We Are What We Are. Oh, yeah. The family, this is a movie about a family with a tradition of cannibalism. Huh. Um, the American version is very much of like like a, like a an Appalachian Gothic thing. Yeah. Like, I mean, which is, I mean, it's it's not like as gross as Texas Chainsaw Massacre in terms of eating people. I just heard this mentioned on a podcast this morning. Um, did you know that there was a, re, that there was a Ryan Reynolds remake of Amityville Horror? I think I was aware. Yeah, I didn't know that. I think I was aware. I mean, I am aware of a lot of these things, but I don't watch a lot of these things. Um, it follows is really good. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. It follows. Have you seen it? You haven't seen it. Follows. Nope. There's no masks in it. Follows. Um, okay. <laughs> Green Room. I would classify as horror. Have you seen Green Room? No. Okay. This is the one of these that I want all 508 listeners to listen to. This yeah, right. is. I'd always describe this as Die Hard at a Punk Show. Oh really? It has. It's maybe not a horror film. It has horror horror elements in it. I'll say it's a horror film because I remember one time, I don't know, a bunch of us had been at some sort of event in Worcester, and then we were all like, oh, like, now we're going home. And me and one of my friends were like, well, we're going back to my house to watch Green Room. It's like Die Hard at a Punk Show. And everybody was like, this is great. And then uh, at least one of the people there was really not prepared for the level of grossness in this film. Mm -hmm. And the next day I said to her, like, kind of, I didn't think she was really going to, make me apologize but the next day i was like you know what i want to apologize for like not really giving you a heads up on that i know you weren't really into it and she was like you do owe me an apology <laughs> for that huh, for that I'll movie go look at that. green room is great though yeah it starts what the, um what about blade the blade trilogy the horror blade movies the blade action movies, movies i mean they're both right they're action horror they're got vampires okay. they got literally geysers of blood i think i need an like a dummy's guide to horror definition like that's the i mean, I mean at least the blade films are also really the first modern successful comic book movies but right, right. nobody ever i mean people really nerdly people describe them as this but mainstream people never talk about like the current golden age of comic book movies as having well, blade Wes- as wesley the start. snipes certainly talks about it. he's already planting seeds that they're going to find a way to, to shoehorn blade into the current mcu i hope they do god bless god bless blade god bless blade and Blade Two, especially the great the great film reviewer Vern described Blade Two as the Godfather Two of vampire hunter movies, 
And I think it's true. One of the rare Vampire Hunter movies with sequels better than the original. And then there's Mandy starring Nicolas Cage, which just came out this year. I think you can you can watch it in the theaters. This movie, Brendan, it's interesting. You know, they they booked a bunch of theaters for this movie, mm-hmm. and then um, you know, it had tremendous response. And then they were like, we actually need to expand the number of theaters this movie is in. But unfortunately, theaters get booked like a month early or two months early. Yeah. So like, it's been expa- slowly expanding as theaters open up. I don't know if there's any place near Worcester that's playing it in the theater. I would love to see this movie in the theater with a with a crowd that's into it. You know, it's sort of half just like maniacal slasher stuff and half just like. Uh, acid-drenched, atmospheric, yeah. you know, there's a beautiful scene of these two people just lying in bed talking about favorite planet. One person, Jupiter, because of the storms. The other person, Galactus. Technically not a planet, but you know. <laughs> Sticking with the topic of movies, uh, playing up at Showcase Cinemas uh, yeah. north in Worcester right now is um, Free Solo. Have you, are you familiar with Free Solo? Is this about climbing? Yeah. So uh, you know this. There's no reason why anybody else would. But I do a fair amount of climbing, mostly indoor. I'm a gym guy, whatever. Mm-hmm. But uh, get, get outside when I can. Um, Alex Honnold is a what's known as free soloist. And he's a younger dude. Um, but free soloing is like this kind of just bizarro. It's not, I wouldn't even say it's extreme. It's just bizarre, like end of the climbing spectrum where it's there's just no ropes or safety gear involved. And it's not... Um, if I can interrupt, this is like as in the opening of... Uh, Mission Impossible 2. Tom Cruise is free-selling yeah. Devil's Towers. Right, it, which was absurd. Um, but the uh, but Alex Honnold, uh, a couple of years back, actually did a lot and, and had a, a film crew along with him, which didn't seem too thrilled about, um, did free solo El Capitan in Yosemite. And even if you're not into the climbing, uh, you know, climbing as a sport or whatever, uh, the photography in this film, is some of the most awe-inspiring photography, cinematography I've ever encountered. And I just wanted to throw out there that if anyone's looking for a departure from Mike's list of uh, of horror movies... This is a non-horror film. This is not a horror film. Like, you could put cotton in your ears and just stare at the screen for an hour and a half, and you will be absolutely floored by the footage that they're able to capture. And if you're into this really quirky young guy... um, who just happened to be the first person to do something that most people would say is completely impossible, which is free soloing, what is it, 3,000 feet, I think is what El Capitan is. Free soloing 10 feet is a miracle to me. Well, and, and so, and that would be bouldering, right? Like a small wall. Yeah. And that, that's kind of normal. You crash pad, you fall, whatever. But like once you're, you know, 20, 40, 30, 40 feet above the ground, then it, it just becomes a no-go zone and your options are continue going or dying and um that's that's this kid alex honnold's jam and it's a pretty interesting kid so yeah free solo showcase in biz north hey brendan we have a women's hockey team in worcester women's professional hockey team did you know this so you knew this so the word has gotten out somewhere do we have time to talk about this did you have you seen this team play Okay. I mean, all of my friends have seen this team play. We're you're not talking to, to yourself, Mike. You're actually talking to Gabby Powers. I'm actually Powers. talking to Gabby Powers, who's not on mic. Um, we're going to try to get we're going to try to get some some local people who are on this team on this show. Uh, I just just thinking about a climbing movie that would be enjoyable even for people who don't like climbing. I kind of like hockey. Mm-hmm. I do own a Worcester Railers hat. Yeah. So I like hockey at least that much. Um, there's a great movie about the Red Army hockey team. I think called Red Army or something like that from about two years ago. All right documentary great documentary real short don't have to like hockey to love it really cool a lot of stuff about the old soviet union a lot of stuff about the transition a lot of stuff about teamwork not a horror movie no all right no not a lot of not like bloody fights or anything yeah yeah rocky a horror movie no that's a sports action movie right 
See, this is the thing is, I don't know. There's, I don't think there's a reasonable definition of horror film, Mike. And it's all I can think about now is that I've got everything wrong. My entire life has been turned upside down because now I don't think that's a viable uh, bucket to be putting any film into. You've been listening to the 508 Show, and we do appreciate that. And uh, we'll talk to you next week, Worcester. <laughs> Bye-bye. We'll have even fewer solutions.